This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. We are going to talk this morning uh, briefly around uh, one of our three priorities that Claire talked about, which is spiritual emotional health. And um, I don't know about you, but um, you know, I think it's a given that a church should contribute to our spiritual health. Is that fair? You'd expect a church to be interested in, in people's spiritual health, and uh, uh, and that's a given. But I wonder whether you might you might wonder whether a church should be interested in helping people with their emotional health. I, I think the answer to that question is yes and no. And, and the reason I say that is because I think that um, sometimes we do need the expertise of a, a psychologist or a counsellor to deal with complex and persistent emotional challenges that we face. Uh, some of you all know that I'm a physiotherapist. Claire and I have our own practice. She's a physio as well. And when we, uh, you know, when we trained, we, we learned a whole range of professional skills that enable us to help people in a way that we wouldn't be able to do if we didn't have those skills. And indeed, we've honed them over the years. So hopefully, when you come and pay to see a physiotherapist, you're getting some help that you wouldn't necessarily be able to get if you, uh, if you were just coming to see someone that wasn't trained physiotherapist, right? So it's the same, I think, with this. It's the same with this in as, as much that I think that there are things that we need professional help with. However... As a physiotherapist, what I am aware of is there's a good deal of common sense around keeping yourself physically healthy. And if you want to know more about that, we can talk about it. But here's the thing. There is basic stuff like stretching, you know. Oh, yeah, stretching is good for me. Or just doing exercise. You know, these are basic things that, you know, you, know, you don't have to be a physiotherapist to understand. You know, there are things that work for you that you have found over the years that, you know, just keep you feeling fit and healthy and strong. And, of course, you might pass on those, those kind of stories of, of how those things that you do have helped you from time to time with friends. Friends might say to you, you look fit and strong. How do you, how do you work out? What does, what does it mean for you to be healthy physically? <laughs> Some of you are going, no, no, that's not. <laughs> but the truth is, is that I think it's true for emotional health as well. There's a, there's a lot of common sense uh, that we can apply to our lives, right? Uh, that we share in stories that we might observe about each other, that we might copy from one another. Um, there are many things that we pick up as we grow older, as children and teenagers and young adults. Oh yeah, th- this is a good way to maintain peace of mind. This is a good way to deal with that negative experience. And so there's a lot of common sense that we can pass on from one another. And of course, one generation passes that stuff on to Another. So yes, as a church, I think we can help one another with our emotional health. But there will be times where we have complex and persistent emotional needs that need some professional expertise. So not for a minute do I want you to think that we consider ourselves as a church to be able to solve every complex and persistent emotional problem. But nevertheless, there's a lot that we can share with one another that will help us maintain a healthy emotional state. But I do want to suggest to us that I do think it's hard to be spiritually healthy or at least on the road to spiritual health if you don't have a degree of emotional health. Because I think emotional health is a gateway to spiritual health. Someone once said that emotions are a better gateway to the spiritual dimension of our lives than our mental beliefs. So um, think about the last time you had an emotion, sorry, a spiritual experience. Think about the last time you had a spiritual experience. An experience that took you beyond yourself, that 
connected you with the divine, that connected you with God, that a spiritual experience that, that really gave you a transformational moment in your life that changed the direction of your thinking. Think of the last time you had that. Now, I would suggest that it is more likely that that experience happened perhaps in, in, in a context like just now where there was joyful music that you sang to, or perhaps where you watched the sunrise uh, one morning last week, or perhaps the kindness of a stranger towards you whilst you travelled on the bus yesterday, or perhaps just the peace and quiet of having 30 minutes to yourself now your kids have gone back to school. I suspect that you have had more spiritual experiences through emotional experiences than listening to someone like me give a talk like this. That's because the power of emotion is a gateway to spiritual experience. And it's not just positive experience, uh, uh, emotional experiences as well, it's negative emotional experiences. They can also be a gateway to a spiritual dimension. Uh, I think it's Richard Rohr who says that love and experiences of great love and experiences of great loss lead us to spiritual experiences because these are powerful emotions. And uh, whatever the emotion, um, if, if emotions are the gateway to a spiritual experience rather than just mental assent to a set of beliefs, then we need to pay more attention to it as a church. So, when, you, uh, when you're like me, if, if you are like me, you may have found yourself at times reacting to situations in your life with a surprising amount of emotion. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, um, but where you, you ask yourself, after, wow, what was going on there? Or actually, more to the point, your wife says to you, what was going on there? <laughs> because you exploded in anger or you fell apart in, 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 and, and, and just kind of lost your sense of uh, peace and, and, and a sense of mental strength. Maybe, maybe you were just crying uncontrollably. And, and you had this response to a situation which was far more than you would normally exhibit. Uh, I, I find myself doing this sometimes, and the question I have to ask myself is, what, what's driving that emotion? Where did that emotion come from? Now, as a person, I find it hard to ask for help. I've realised this. I am not very good at asking for help. So um, I guess part of it is down to the fact that I'm a kind of have-a-go guy, have-a-go hero, you know. Yeah, I can have a go at that, fix that problem, deal with this, deal with that. But the reality is, is that I can't. And often I get to the limits of my abilities very quickly. And um, it's usually, uh, well, it can be anything really, but a typical example would be where I'm trying to fix a household chore, you know, like there's something's gone wrong in the house and... Uh, I need to fix it, and then I realise I can't fix it, and I get frustrated, and I get angry. And, uh, and it's just because I don't know how to ask for help. And I think some of it's a pride thing. I know it's a pride thing, actually, because when Claire and I are together, um, if we need help, then I usually encourage her to go and ask someone for help <laughs> rather than myself. I genuinely do, and it's, just a, it, it's, really, it's a real weakness on my part because what it means is it, it means I find it hard to actually ask for help, and maybe there's a bit of pride in there. You know, just like, yeah, I don't want to ask for help. I just want to be able to do it. I, I, I pride myself on being able to cope with most situations. But actually being asked to, asking for help, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's often the most wise thing to do. So I have to ask myself, why is it? Why do I struggle to ask for help? 
I wonder whether you uh, carry any emotional things like that yourself. That, that, that kind of, you kind of don't have a rational explanation. It's just an irrational response to a situation and, and you don't quite know why it is. Maybe it's just something to do with my personality. Maybe it's something to do with something that happened to me when I was younger uh, or in my past. Not necessarily younger. It could have happened last week. Uh, but something which is affecting my ability to respond in a way that is, you know, sensible and, uh, and, and helpful and constructive. Now, the reason why I'm talking about our emotional and our spiritual health is because um, I think I would I I think I've I, I own this, but I, I, someone else has said this. But our spiritual health will never outpace our emotional health. So, if we want to be spiritually healthy, we need to therefore understand what our emotional health is like. And uh, and, and and unfortunately, I think um, what we see is when um, religious people, particularly think that they're spiritually healthy, but in reality they're not emotionally healthy. You see a real split between the, in their behaviour. It leads to a lack of integrity. It leads to what we call hypocrisy. And, and, and I'll give you an example of this from the life of Jesus. So Matthew 23, verse 27-28. Okay, this is an account of Jesus' life. And Jesus says this to a group of people that are called, referred to as the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And, and, and I might add, you know... Jesus does not kind of uh, mince his words when he, when, he, when he talks to these people. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now, genuinely, if someone came up to you and said, Karen, you are a hypocrite, that would be a horrible insult, wouldn't it? That would be something... Now, I know Karen very well. She's not a hypocrite at all. But the fact is, is that um, if I was to say that to someone, it would be a very strong charge. It would be something that would be unpleasant and probably wouldn't be called for. But Jesus here... So don't miss the power of Jesus' words here. He says to the, the, these uh, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites... You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. All right, that's, and he says that more than once. So Jesus referred his, his um, most fierce criticism for the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Uh, why is that? Well, I think it's because he saw this huge difference between their, what their outward spiritual health was looking like, which was, in their context, was obeying the, the law of Moses and, and, uh, and actually inventing laws uh, over and above the law of Moses to make themselves look righteous. Uh, and yet on the inside, their behaviour just really doesn't match that spiritual health. So in other words, their emotional health's down here and their spiritual health's up here, and there's a big difference. And Jesus calls out that difference. And um, <clears throat> let me just explain the context a little bit. I said last week, in last week's talk, that um, in the hundred-year period leading up to AD 70, the Jewish religion, okay, and culture was being crushed by Roman occupation, Roman colonization, you might say. It was under so much pressure that society was splitting into factions, so you had lots of different factions within Judaism, and they were all attempting to survive this period of intense colonization and oppression by the Roman occupation. And the Pharisees and the religious lawyers were doubling down on their obedience to the Jewish law. I, I, I wonder whether they were saying, look, if we just keep the law to its nth degree, we'll preserve our Jewish identity, culture and religion in spite of Roman secularisation. You know, if we just, we're feeling all this pressure to conform to society 
and to society's norms. Society's norms have changed, so now we're going to feel the pressure to conform. Well, what we're going to do is, in order to preserve our culture, we're going to double down on it. We're going to double down it. We're going to insist on every little detail of our law being kept, and that way we'll preserve the law. There was something about that in the Pharisees' response. And, um, and what the Pharisees and the, law, the lawyers, the Jewish lawyers, were doing were they were keeping a code of conduct. Now, you might have to sign a code of conduct in your workplace. Does your employer require you to have a code of conduct? Yes, yeah, some of you do. We have a code of conduct for the staff here at Seven. And, uh, and that code of conduct uh, requires people to behave in a certain way. If you are employed by this organisation, then we require this conduct from you. Um, as a society, we have a code of conduct. Uh, it's our civil and criminal law, and we consent to that code of conduct. And in fact, we can even help shape that code of conduct through our democratic process. So we have a code of conduct. So we are all living within codes of conduct. And I would argue that the law that we have all agreed to, um, most of the time, I imagine, um, we are living within that code of conduct. You know, we are living in such a way as to keep that code of conduct. You know, no one is walking into a shop. I wouldn't recommend this. No one's going to walk down to Primark, walk out with clothes without paying for them. Why? Because our code of conduct requires us to not do that. And we have a mechanism by which we can force you to not do that by arresting you and putting you in jail if you do such a thing. So, of course, there is a code of conduct for the Jews and the Pharisees were insisting that people keep it. But here's the thing about the Pharisees. They insisted that if a Jew failed to keep the code of conduct, this particular code of conduct, then there were eternal consequences for their actions. They leveraged, they leveraged their power by saying that God was on their side and that they had God's authority to insist that you keep this code of conduct. So it's, the consequences weren't just that you'll get thrown into jail or that you'll be ostracised within your community, but that actually there are consequences in terms of your relationship with God going forward. So in there, in other words, there are, if you don't keep this code of conduct, then there's going to be eternal consequences when you die. That is an abuse of power. Because what they're doing is they're leveraging God's authority to get you to do something that they want you to do. Now, here's the thing. Jesus had severe criticism for this sort of behaviour. But... What we do understand from the Pharisees' behaviour and from Jesus' criticism of it is that it's entirely possible to try and pursue what you think is spiritual health whilst you ignore your emotional health. But the outcome of that is often hypocrisy and a lack of integrity. And that's the trouble with religion. Religion can do that to us. We can be pursuing something that we think is right and moral and, and a code of conduct. We can adhere to it whilst really missing the point and being very different people inside. And so Jesus has really clear words for this, and I think for us as a church, we need to really think carefully about it. The hard reality is that if we want to be spiritually healthy, then we need to pursue emotional health with an equal passion, because I would argue that our spiritual health will never outpace our emotional health. Now, the image I would like you to think about today is the image of an iceberg. You know, so often we know what we see on the surface is not the full picture, right? An iceberg is only 10% of an iceberg floats above the water. So when you see an iceberg, there's another 90% of ice underwater. And 
that's a helpful metaphor for our own inner life, right? There's so much more below the surface that not everyone is going to see. And, um, you know, the truth is, is that we, uh, we, we are all nice people, yeah? Most of us are nice people. Most of us behave in a way which is nice and polite and appropriate. Well, I mean, I, don't, I can't say that I do most of it all the time. I, my kids will tell you another. And my wife will tell you. And those of you that know me well will know that I'm not like that. But the reality is, is that we're generally nice people. I've seen you all. When I come in here on a Sunday, you all walk in with smiles on your faces and you greet each other with warmth and generosity and uh, you've got your best side on, right? Even if you walked in the door feeling like really grumpy, you can manage to squeeze out a smile because we're at church. And Christians are nice people, right? I mean, Christians are nice people, and frankly, it's a nice context to be in. Like, going to, you go into any church in the city, you're going to find, hopefully you're going to find nice people that are going to treat you kindly, generously, and, and be, be genuinely interested in you. Why? Because there's a culture around Christianity about being nice and kind and generous. But the reality is, is that we don't know everything about each other. And, uh, and we don't know, sometimes everything about ourselves. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't know everything that's going on in me. As I said to you just now, I find that sometimes I react in a way that I, I'm even surprised myself. Like, whoa, what's going on there? Why did I just lose my rag with so-and-so? Why did I just feel really anxious in that moment? What on earth is going on there? I'm asking myself the question because I don't know the answer. So we can struggle to understand each other and we can also struggle to know ourselves. And over and over again, Jesus challenged his followers to examine those things and pay attention to those things. So Jesus never said, oh, just skate over the surface, remain in the shallows, don't worry about going deep and dealing with some of that stuff that, you know, really does shape us. He says this in John 8, 31 to 32. And remember, Jesus' teaching was all about, well, actually, Jesus' teaching I was going to really deliver you a sucker line there that no one has ever told you about. Jesus' teaching, put it in a word, it's this. Now, I can't do that, but here's what I do see in Jesus' teaching. Is Jesus' teaching was always asking questions. He was always asking questions of his, of his listeners. Like, what, what do you think about this? Like, he forces you, he spoke in parables to force you to think about what he was saying. He never said it, clear, uh, uh, you know, kind of clear and playing. In fact, often his disciples would, you know, we've got one record of, of his disciples saying to him, why won't you just speak plainly to us? You speak in stories and we don't quite understand what you mean. And that's because he was forcing people to think through uh, his teaching. But he says this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What is Jesus talking about? Well, I'm going to just pitch that. I think Jesus is talking about the truth setting us free from those things that control us that sometimes we don't even know anything about. You know, from the moment we were conceived, our environment has shaped us. When you were carrying, being carried in your mother's womb, your environment was shaping you, whatever that was, positive or negative. So from the moment we've conceived, our environment shapes us and changes us and affects us. And so we behave in ways that sometimes we don't fully understand. Some experiences are more formative than others. Some are good and some are bad. I'm sure that all of us have places in our past that we might celebrate and go, that was a really formative part of my life. I'm so glad that I had that relationship or I was raised in that family or I did this as a child or I took that opportunity that presented itself to me. So many of our experiences form us for the good. Some of our experiences, unfortunately, form us 
they're bad experiences. You know, that we, we've, we've suffered in, in certain ways that have shaped us as well. So both good and bad experiences will shape us. And here's the thing. You know, there are things that we probably have in our lives that we're slightly embarrassed or ashamed of. And, you know, one of the best things that you can do, one of the funnest things, if you've never done this, go to the pub and just, uh, just you know, talk to your friends and, and, and talk about your greatest mistakes or regrets that you have in life. You're going to have such a good night. We don't do it, do we? We don't sit in the pub and talk about the things of which we're ashamed or embarrassed. Um, yeah, I mean, gosh. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where to begin. You know, I could tell you so many things. That I'm thinking, oh, I'm embarrassed by that. I'm ashamed of that. You know, the reality is, is that there are things that, that we just don't tell each other because of embarrassment and shame. Um, I was, uh, yeah. No. <laughs> no, well, I... I <laughs> Oh, Claire and I uh, had to clear the house the other night because it was Jake's 20th birthday and he had his mates stay over and stuff. So we went and stayed with Anna and uh, our friend Anna. And uh, over breakfast the next morning, I was recounting a dream that I had where, where we, were, um, we were at a, confer- a Christian vineyard conference. And I had to, I'm trying to remember what exactly what happened, but I had to go to the front. That's right, I climbed over a table to get to the front to get my food first. And then, and then I was told by an official at the conference that I was not able to do it anymore and they, had to, they wanted to take my plate out of my hand. And I was like so embarrassed because everyone there was laughing at me. And I, remember, and, I was, and I recounted this to you and now I'm embarrassed telling you about this to you because it's like, what, what's going on there? You know? uh, and um, yeah, I, uh, I remember walking out of the building with everyone laughing at me. And it was people I knew and loved, and they were all just going, oh, Owen, you're such an idiot, you're stupid, you're doing all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's embarrassing. And I feel that shame even telling you. And I was remember telling Claire and Anna about it over breakfast, and like, why am I telling you this dream? I should have just kept that to myself. <laughs> but anyway, you know, there are things that we, we just don't share with one another because we're embarrassed and ashamed. But here's the thing, we make meaning uh, from our experiences, and... Um, and we make vows from our experiences. And those vows are, I will never do that again. Or I will do that again because it gained, you know, it gained certain positive experiences. We make vows. Whether we like it or not, we make vows. And we say, I will not do this. Uh, is there anything in your life that you will not do? Those are things that are powerfully shaping you. And you might not know why. You might know why. But there are events and experiences that you've had that mean that you will not do something because you vowed you will not do it. And those things can be good and bad. So, for example, um, let me give you an example. You might have learned as a child from your parents to suppress conflict. All right, so you might have learned one way or another that you need to suppress conflict, so don't engage in conflict. And it, but instead of dealing with it, you suppress it. So, I don't know, 35 years later, you, you, when you have conflict, you, you, what you do is you don't engage with conflict in a constructive way. You just, you just distance the person you're in conflict with. And you just don't spend time with them. And you realise that's killing your marriage. Or it's affecting your relationship with colleagues at work. Because our formative experiences shape our present behaviour sometimes. 
and, and although it's not exclusively within the first 30 years of our life, you know, there are things that perhaps only in the last year may well still be really formatively, really a, 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 a bit had a formative effect on you and actually shaping your response to life now. But there are things that particularly happen in the first 10, 15, 20 years. And it's because our brains are so plastic. Now, plastic, that, that metaphor is not very helpful because plastic's quite hard, isn't it, normally? But actually what it means is plastic is malleable. It's, it's formable. So in the first 10, 15 years of our life, like everything that we are going to become kind of is very shapeable in that time. It's very malleable in that time. Our brains are very plastic. So very often what's happened in our first 10, 15, 20 years of life actually have, has a lasting effect across our life. And the problem is, is that as we get older, those experiences and those behaviours become harder and often irreversible. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about when he says, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. It will help you break those patterns of behaviour that have emerged from certain activities or experiences in your life if you pay attention to them. But what do we do? We just skate along the surface of our life and we never connect with the reality of those things going on in our lives. And then you come to church and you go, oh yeah, I'm a Christian so I need to behave like this. And then you realise that you can't behave like that because actually there's stuff in you that is actually shaping you and forming you much more powerfully than just a requirement to behave in a certain way. And so that's why the difference between our spiritual and emotional lives is quite critical sometimes. But we can change. Uh, Henry Cloud and John Townsend wrote a book called Boundaries and they said this in this book, we change our behaviour when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. We change our behaviour when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing. And I noticed this as a physio just briefly. When um, some people will come to me and they say, I've had this problem for like 18 months. And I go, why have you only just come to a physiotherapist with, with it now then? Well, it's become so great that I have to do something about it. I've been able to live with that pain for a long time, but now it's too great. So I need to sort it out. And then hopefully we sort it out. But here's the thing. It, we can do that with emotional pain as well. So for many of us, we live with emotional pain and we uh, take painkillers that help us deal with that pain. And often those painkillers are things that um, uh, release the pleasure chemicals, the endorphins in our bodies. So that's TV, books, sport, work, religion, shopping. Yes, I said religion. Anything that distracts us from the reality that we're facing and fills our time so we don't have to deal with that cause of pain. And, and that's what we do. We we, we effectively um, anaesthetise ourselves against our pain until we're ready to deal with it. And sometimes that's, a, that's the right thing to do in a controlled setting. You know, If someone has back pain, they do need to take painkillers until the body starts to resolve. And sometimes we do need to do things to keep that pain under control until we are ready to deal with that pain from an emotional perspective. That, that's where I'm saying we're getting out of our territory there. We need to get into the territory of professionals who can help us with that sort of thing, psychologists and counsellors. But, you know, there is so much that we can do as a church together in the sharing of common sense and very simple ways of living that enable us to deal with some of that stuff. And um, uh, we don't have to hit rock bottom before we deal with it. Now, I know that for some... The theory of addiction is, is that, that actually you do have to hit rock bottom before you're prepared to do something about it. And again, I'm not going to go there. But what I would say is that to us as a community, there are things that we can share that might help. And we don't have to plummet to the depths before we actually start helping one another. Does that make sense? And particularly as a church. I mean, honestly, if we just skate around on the surface 
and pretend to be spiritual and try and behave ourselves and look nice and behave in a certain way, um, then, then great. I mean, fine, if that's what you want. But that, that's, I don't think that's very helpful. And it doesn't really make sense of the gospel. So you could probably do that at your local cricket club or your David Lloyd. No one's going to worry about you there. You can skate along the surface there. But in the context of a church where the basis of our church is, a, is the gospel of Jesus, that the truth will set you free, well, what does that actually look like? What does it look like for us to do that? Well, we want to just share in our, our one way in which that can look through our uh, relationships with one another. Dan's just going to join me. And uh, we're just going to briefly tell you about an experience that we've had together um, that's helped us deal with this. Is that right, Dan? Yes, fine, yeah, hi. So our, um, we're, we're mates, we've been mates for years, and um, a while back we actually started, uh, formed a, a triplet with a friend of ours called Mal, and the three of us spent, I don't know, nine months probably, maybe longer, asking us, meeting together once a week on Zoom, asking ourselves four basic questions. And those four basic questions were? Uh, the questions were, uh, what's gone well in the last week or since we last met? Uh, where have you got stuck? Uh, which linked with stuff Owen's been talking about, patterns where you want to be different but can't, uh, areas of dysfunction. <laughs> um, and then the third one was, uh, where else is God getting your attention? Uh, so that could be just through something you've read or something that someone said to you, but just a chance to reflect on that. And then the last one was, um, what are you pressing into or what are you going to do about it? So... We would give each other about 10 minutes to kind of share, and we'd just take it in turns to ask each other questions. So it's kind of a very informal peer coaching type um, arrangement where you're in a non-judgmental environment where you can ask those kind of questions. And I think for us, you know, I think we've been friends for about 23 years now, but being in that environment just gave us a rhythm and an opportunity to really, I think, start to be honest about some of the stuff, some of the mess, some of the dysfunctions uh, in our emotions and in our relationships and in our lives. And it was so, so helpful in, in that regard, just to have that discipline of meeting weekly or fortnightly and saying, okay, so what's gone well? Great. But, you know, that's the good stuff. But where are you getting stuck? And so if I had shared with Owen, uh, you know, that... I'd noticed myself distancing myself from my family when I was upset or uh, not being able to engage with something because it was too difficult. Then the next time we met, he could ask me about that or I could say, you know, what hasn't gone well this last week because I've noticed the same thing going again. And often I wouldn't know why I was doing that, but I wouldn't be able to kind of ask a follow-up question of, you know, where do you think that's coming from or when did you notice it or was there anything that you did differently? And just in that, again, kind of very non-judgmental environment to ask each other those questions was, was amazing. And I've then gone on to do it with several other triplets, and I know you have as well. So it's a really simple model. What it needs is a little bit of commitment, because you do have to kind of commit into a rhythm of meeting and uh, fitting that into life. But I think the payoff is absolutely worth it. And it also needs a little bit of vulnerability, um, you know, to answer those questions honestly, to be able to go to places that are a bit uncomfortable and say, yeah, I did this again. I acted in that way or I said that thing or I didn't say that thing. Uh, and the, the more vulnerable you're able to be with each other, the more rewarding and the, the bigger the payoff. So that, that was what I got out of it a bit. But yeah, what did, did you get anything out of it? Yeah, I got all of that. And, and, but I also really loved the fact that it was, um, it was, it was, it was defined. So, like, we did it for an hour, 
a week or an hour a fortnight. Mm. It was no more. So for instance, if we go to the pub and we might spend two or three hours there, but honestly, if we were at that level the whole time, I'd be exhausted by the end of the evening. And also we wouldn't have been able to talk about football and other things that we really love talking about together, right? So what was really nice about it was you have 10 minutes you have 10 minutes to answer questions from one of the guys. So you, you're in the th you're a group of three. So one person times the 10 minutes. One person is asked the questions, the other person gets to ask. And no one is an expert, so no, you're not allowed to offer advice. So that's, that's a really big rule on this. You don't offer advice, because obviously it can just become a, a sort of an advice fest kind of thing. It's about you kind of just talking about what's going on. And very often the most common response that anyone I've been in a triplet with talks, uh, says at the end of their session is, or 10 minutes is, Oh, that was really helpful. I would never have come up with that if I hadn't talked about it. It's in the sharing that you kind of find your own solutions. So in many ways, that, that was probably, that was what helped me. Um, I think that uh, I've done it since we, we stopped doing ours, and uh, I do it with Rick and Kevin, and we've done it now for like three and a half years. Three and a half years? I don't... I I don't you're, you're still not perfect. <laughs> well, no, that, of course, and that's the thing, we're not trying to be perfect. Yeah. We're, what we're actually trying to do is just live life together. So when I see Rick or Kevin here on a Sunday and we wander up to each other and say hi, I don't, I don't know what's going on in their life. I know what's going on in their life and I, I don't feel the need to um, kind of like go deep like when we're chatting like this because we're just chatting because we know that we've got that time to chat. So you know, we might laugh about whatever else is going on in our lives, but we don't have, but we have the sense of connection. And I think that mm. probably, Dan, is, is, the, is the thing that I got most out of it was the feeling connected. I didn't realize that if, I mean, women in the room will know this already because it's just innate to you, but when you share openly and vulnerable with people, you feel connected to them, don't you? All the ladies are going, yes. And the guys are going, really? That's a new idea. I'd never thought about that before. And I think that was what really I felt. Ben I felt, oh, I don't feel lonely. I don't feel isolated. I feel connected and known. Mm. And that was a really big deal. Yeah. And two other quick thoughts that have come to mind as you've said that is, I think, as a natural kind of people pleaser, someone who avoids conflict, actually, it was a really helpful way for me to gradually learn that in being vulnerable and sharing my mistakes and staying where I was stuck, that actually... What I received was connection and not distance or judgment, and that was just kind of an inbuilt assumption that had come from lots of things in growing up um, and where I had sought appreciation and affection and stuff. So it was a really practical way to gradually learn that better. Uh, and the other thing was um, it forced me to reflect, and just having that rhythm, I think it's very, very easy to kind of coast along or drift along and often not even know how I am. I think when people ask me, how are you doing? It's actually quite a difficult question to answer sometimes because I haven't taken the time to yeah. actually work out how I am. So having that uh, built-in habit and, and those questions to reflect on before we met, because this is the other thing, is we'd actually just jot down some notes or email each other with a few thoughts. So actually that was often as beneficial as the conversation yeah. itself was just the reflection. The discipline beforehand. of refle yeah. reflection, yeah, absolutely. And if, you're, if you journal, you'll know that some of this, you'll be like, oh yeah, no, I get that from journaling. Uh, what did it, all I would say to you is, when you journal, the only person you're conversing with is yourself and God. When you're forced to share some of that with someone else, it changes it, it multiplies it, it really grows it. So I, I would encourage you, if you're like, yeah, I get that from journaling, it's like, well, try it, try it with a couple of people. Because actually, I think you'll get even more out of it. Here's the thing, I don't think we're saying that you need to be an expert on this, do you? And we, we want people, what, I mean, we did it as mates, and if you're thinking, I'd like to do that, 
I would encourage you to not rely on the church to organise it for you. What I would encourage you to do is think of two people that you get on well with and ask them if they'd like to do it with you. And you might do it, we do it fortnight at the moment, Rick, Kevin and I, because it works well. It's only an hour, an hour a fortnight. Honestly, we can make that happen. And we don't do it in person either, we do it on Zoom. So it's easy, it's easy to do. Uh, but it's, um, I mean, in terms of cost-benefit ratio, guys, it's kind of like loads of benefit, not a lot of cost. It really does. It really helps. So we would encourage you just to find two people you like. Now, it might be people that aren't part of seven, maybe people that aren't Christians. That's absolutely fine. And if, if, there's, if, if there's any sense of discussion, you don't have to ask yourself, what's God been getting your attention? You can just say, what's getting your attention at the moment? But the point is, is that the same principles are working out. Is that, is that fair, Dan? Anything else you want to add to that? No, I think that's... Yeah. So we just want to encourage you to do it. Uh, because your emotional life... Is, a, is, is your gateway to your spiritual dimension of life, okay? And, um, and I mean, I, you can disagree with me on that, and so I'm not saying that as, like, a fact, but that's my experience and my opinion, and certainly the opinion of many writers. But if you are thinking to yourself, oh, I've never thought about dealing with my emotional life, my emotional health, this is just one simple way to start. There are many other ways, but this is just some, one simple way. So we offer that to you. Thanks, Dan. Why don't we just pray together? Ah... Uh, Um, thank you for our emotions. Uh, thank you for our uh, emotional lives. And some of us would rather not have emotions because they terrify us and upset us and all that. Uh, some of us are uh, struggling with experiences that are too painful to even begin to unearth. Give us the wisdom, we pray, uh, Holy Spirit, to work out what to do in the situation, whether that's to get into a little triplet like this with some mates or whether that is uh, to seek the, the help of a counsellor or a psychologist to deal with stuff. But Lord, we just pray that, um, that today, we as a community, uh, would uh, be more than just uh, uh, our membership of the David Lloyd Club, or more than just uh, our, our membership of this uh, yoga society, or whatever. It may, may it be a bit more than that. May it be a community where we grow uh, spiritually and emotionally uh, to a place of health and continuing health. And we ask uh, for your help in doing that. So give us wisdom to do that, we pray. And give us connections to do that in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen.